reporter of any kind in the state of West Virginia isn't an easy task. On one hand, you're trying to publicize the best thing the state has to offer, its people. The saying goes, the best resource this state has is its people. The media is certainly no stranger to that, making sure to highlight those who are doing great work in the community, something that we are also trying to do. But on the other hand, it's also a reporter's obligation to spotlight all of the bad things going on in the state as well, which is often a bunch of things that are difficult to discuss. COVID, the drug epidemic, political corruption, and whether or not the Charleston Dirty Birds name change was a disaster. Okay, maybe that one is not so hard to discuss, but certainly you can imagine the life and the day-to-day -day grind of a news reporter can be very challenging and very difficult. But at the same time, it can also be very rewarding. And our latest guest has certainly felt both of those emotions, the good and the bad. Yeah, Zach Harold was a writer for the Daily Mail and continues to do freelance work. He's also a producer for Inside Appalachia, which is powered by West Virginia Public Broadcasting. So Zach is knee deep in the storytelling business when it comes to West Virginia. And yes, he does have an opinion regarding Charleston's baseball team's new name, the Dirty Birds. So we discuss many stories, including maybe one of the most interesting story tied to West Virginia right now. A Jefferson County couple has been arrested for trying to sell military secrets to a foreign nation. Stick around towards the end of the episode for that interesting story. Let's get to it right now. Mace, hit the music. All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of Mountaineer Media Podcast. CJ's here with me, of course. Good morning, CJ. How are you? Morning, Cooper. Doing well. Thank you very much. Got a good guest today. You reached out to through our channels on Twitter, and, and Zach Harold is our guest today. And Zach, what's going on, man? How are you? Hey, good morning, guys. I'm doing well. Doing well on a Monday morning. The old Twitter DMs. You can shoot, <laughs> you can DM <laughs> your way into any kind of conversation you want. Um, Let it but, be my DMs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, you know what? Even guilty here on Mountaineer Media, I guess, sometimes. So, yeah. <laughs> but, um, but, well, I mean, it's because of Twitter that I found you because I followed you and I, you know, I just enjoyed a lot of the cool, interesting stories that you put out. Um, but as we were talking before, um, we jumped on here. You know, if you look at your uh, Twitter bio, you've got a few different things going on. You've been on many different sides of, of media, but won't you just go ahead and tell the audience maybe kind of what's your, what you're up to now currently, and then we'll dive into, I got a few fun questions, um, especially this whole sand, peanut butter sandwich West Virginia story and the FBI sting. We'll get to that in a minute. I saw you <laughs> commented on that. I read that article in the, in the Wall Street Journal, but before that, what's going on, man? Well, um, well, so you want me to talk about what I'm doing? Yeah, sure. Right now, okay. Well, so my day job is with the West Virginia University Extension Service Family Nutrition Program. Super long name, and and people say, well, it's a multimedia specialist. Well, I take pictures and I make videos and I write press releases. But it's a super good, uh, super awesome organization that, frankly, I didn't know a lot about before I started working here. And and we teach. It's funded by federal uh, SNAP supplemental nutrition mm -hmm. assistance program it's funded by that federal program but we teach nutrition education at schools around the state 
um, you know, community centers and rehab programs. It's, it's a very fulfilling job getting to support that work. Cause it's like, it's, it's stuff that's truly making a difference in people's lives and their health. So that's the day job. Okay. Uh, but then my hobby, um, is journalism more or less. I, I am a, uh, Folkways reporter for Inside Appalachia. I've been doing that for three years. Folkways being like Appalachian traditions. They're being handed mm-hmm. down from one generation to the next. Um, you know, doing stories about that kind of stuff. I do a little bit of freelancing for The Guardian, the newspaper in the UK. Mm-hmm. Uh, occasionally, um, if something sticks in my craw, I, I write columns for the Gazette. <laughs> Just when something, <laughs> something aggravates me and I shoot an email to the... Uh, to the editors over there it's like hey can i give you 700 words about this weird thing that i'm <laughs> obsessed with and then uh i think they, i think that's it right now that's many times you're wearing yeah. and <laughs> well, and we're and we're working we're hoping to get grant funding for a documentary project that's tangentially related to my inside appalachia work can you can you speak about the documentary like topic, um, it's going to be uh it's going to be a long form documentary uh it's it's a podcast but it's going to be a documentary style podcast okay um i don't want to compare it to something like serial because serial is like amazing but um <laughs> that kind of thing where gotcha. you know it's a it's a reported story that's told over the arc is is six episodes and it's going to be about a chapter of west virginia history that's fairly recent but okay. seems like we have all forgotten uh, somehow and there's an untold story that happened beneath the surface that that has never been reported I, and that's all i can say i know i'm being super shady about that's, it but that's I love the, it. the journalist any of the t's right just yeah never, yeah. never give up well, the i full, can't all the details hopefully we're we applied for um funding from the west virginia humanities council and we should know in november whether whether we get that grant and i think then we'll be able to talk more about it yeah but um but uh if that if that falls through i've made connections with a producer who's worked with like the bbc and stuff so we're 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 going to find a way to do it one way or the other yeah maybe you guys will just have to have me back on and we can talk about the project more absolutely deal and i love that i love that like it kind of mixed into your other work of like carrying on or like talking about West Virginia, like folklore and traditions, like storytelling is maybe one of the deepest, oldest human thing there is, right? Storytelling. So I like that it's structured like a, like a story for people to discover something new. And uh, the new world is obviously consuming it, you know, passively via your headphones on a podcast. So I think that's great. Um, but I want to dive into, cause I, you know, read a little bit about what she said and um, the whole West Virginia, the family nutrition program, mm-hmm. um, how surprising was it for you to like, maybe once you started digging into it to see maybe the severity of like the West Virginia struggles with nutrition, I imagine kids, but then you also talked about even like adults that have like different diseases and the power of nutrition. Some parts of West Virginia, what's it called? Like classifies like food deserts yeah. where basically that means like they've got like a dollar general for 30 miles, but they don't have exactly. any like fresh food or anything like that. So what's that like been like for you kind of discovering that? I mean, and then what are some of the things that's working? So here's what blew my mind. When I applied for a job with the extension service, I thought like, Oh, it's like 4-H and farms. (laughs) Like (laughs) I didn't even know this part of it existed. Mm -hmm. Um, But as I, my boss's um, 
Gina Wood and Kristen McCartney, my first day on the job, took me in a conference room and sat me down and just said, okay, here are all the programs that we do. And I won't, I won't go through all of them because there are so many. But the thing that has blown my mind time and time again, I mean, I, I grew up in Boone County. I grew up in a rural okay. area where, you know, we had to drive 30 minutes to get to a grocery store. Um, but came from a middle-class family, went to school with a lot of people who, who were less well-off than my family was. Not that we were super rich, but, you know, we, sure. we never struggled for food. But to see the struggles that people in our state go through, um, the calculus that they're doing in their heads when they buy food is not something that people in the middle class can even comprehend. It's, it's like this. We have a program called uh, Pharmacy, and, and this is one of the programs I'm most passionate about. It seems so simple. People get a prescription, and I'm doing air quotes, from their doctor that gives them a bag of locally grown fresh fruits and vegetables every week for the duration of the program, and it lasts several months. And in addition to that, our educators provide nutrition education where, you know, it teaches folks how to make a budget and go to the grocery store, what, you know, how to read nutrition labels. It teaches like easy recipes and, mm -hmm. and kitchen skills and stuff like that. And it's been so successful in, in, for, for the people that obviously it's not like this for everybody, but for the people that really take hold of the program and, and do it, we've seen people who've had uncontrollable diabetes for years and years and years, um, be able to come off the insulin that they're taking. That's how successful this wow. is making a, just a complete 180 in their health. But in talking to people, they're like, well, when you're of limited means and you have this set amount of food money that you can spend on food in, in a, a month's time, you're not going to buy things that you don't know how to fix, that you don't know you're going to mm -hmm. like. You're not going to risk any amount of that limited budget that you have. So it severely limits what people will eat because they're scared they're going to buy something they don't like. And just by empowering them, by just by introducing help, introducing people to different foods, to different ways of preparing foods, to uh, it's not that they don't want to eat healthy. It's that a lot of people are just, um, you know, you don't know where to start. Right. And by giving them that jump start, it, it takes away, it breaks down so many of those barriers and they're able to start making steps toward um a better health and it is as simple as introducing more physical activity you don't have to call it exercise physical activity into their into their daily lives and and just eating you know more fresh fruits and vegetables even if you can't get fr uh, fresh fruits and vegetables canned foods that are low in sodium or low in sugar are also healthy it's it's just right giving people not a diet but a, a, a framework for for how to manage their health and it changes people's lives that's what i said i i spent 10 years in journalism and it took me a long time before i found a quote unquote pr job that i would feel good about taking and the reason i stayed so long in journalism is that i felt like i was helping people with the job that i was doing whether that was making people aware of the things that were going on in their government or whatever well and then later when i was with the magazine um supporting local businesses and, and drawing attention to people that were doing cool things. When I found this job, I was like, well, that's, that's just a different way of helping people. Right. It's a cause. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm so, I'm so pumped about it. So if, uh, if anybody's interested, I won't bore you guys with all the details. If people are interested in learning more about what we do, um, it's extension 
www.wvu.edu slash FMP. And you can read about all the, I mean, we have Grow This, which sent out like 75,000 seed packets to people for free during the pandemic. Wow. Uh, that program just absolutely exploded. You know, Rethink Your Drink, which is a program to, to get kids to drink um, fewer sugar-sweetened beverages and drink more water. And it's been incredibly successful. Um, just huge, huge things. And it, I feel really humbled and lucky to be a part of it. I always find it amazing. Like, why why does the university feel like it needs to jump in on this? Why is it a, a WVU extension to to try and, you know, uh, fight this in West Virginia? So it's a federal program. Um, there's two sides of it. There's SNAP education and there's FNEP, which is the, I never remember the, I never remember what that acronym stands for. Those are both federal programs and yeah. other states okay, gotcha. have these. Mm-hmm. And that's housed within the it's extension w. service. That's just gotcha. like where it lives. It's a okay, state gotcha. agency where that federal money is funneled and it's WVU running a federal program on the state level. Right. Gotcha. Gotcha. And I imagine, I imagine they're most, I mean, WVU is just, I guess, most skilled and operationally able to carry out these big initiatives. Right. And they had the framework whenever this was set up ever how many years ago, they already had the extension service, which as part of the land grant mission of the university is, has all these arms and tentacles out in all the counties. So it made sense for the family nutrition program to be located in extension because it already had, that presence right. all throughout the state yeah it's so gotcha. important because you could see how it impacts literally everything because it's easy to say oh it's, uh, we're just changing people's diet well it's like, okay well if a kindergartner if all he has normally is like half of a pop tart before school how do you think he's going to perform on his test and then it's like maybe if he's all day worrying about being hungry he's going to have a bad test and then it's like oh well this this student clearly is not doing well in school and then it's like he, he must have a learning disability like no he probably was just wasn't had good food to begin with and was stressed about it or you know or just not performing mentally as sharp because of the lack of nutritious food that he had um so it's i could imagine all the ripple effects that a healthy diet has on children i mean much less adult functioning adults we need to eat healthy as well but and here's what's here's what's so cool about it Kristen mccartney um, who's head of the snap side of the program uh talks about this all the time she's like we're not you know, adults are adults and they have their habits set to a certain extent. Part of what we're trying to do is create a, a, a future consumer for fresh fruits and vegetables by the programs that we're doing in the elementary schools, because like there's another program that we do called kids markets. And uh, basically it's a free farmer's market that we go to elementary schools and set up. Mm-hmm. It's stuff grown by local farmers. We pay the farmers, the kids get it for free. They go through with their cute little bags and they fill their bags full of fresh fruits and vegetables. That sounds simple, but here's the key to that whole thing. The parents aren't anywhere around. So it gets them in a <laughs> habit of like, yeah. The parents aren't anywhere around, so they can't go, oh, we don't like zucchini. Right. We don't like butternut squash. They're just grocery shopping. They're the like shopping. are given the agency to yeah. make the decisions on their own. And they discover a lot of times that they like stuff that maybe they wouldn't have otherwise tried. Yeah. And, and it, it's like creating, like Kristen says, it's creating that future consumer. It's, it's deep level stuff, man. I could, I could talk all day yeah. about this organization. Well, and I feel like I'm just such a small part of it. Cause I just take the pictures and make the video, but I'm constantly in <laughs> awe of these people that, that I work with. What is up guys, this is the Mountaineer Roasting Coffee Break. What's stopping you right now from pulling out your iPhone and going to mountaineerroasting.com? 
I can't think of a single thing because if you do that and you use code media 15, you will save 15% off delicious roasted coffee. They fly it in from all over the world. They hand roast it in West Virginia. Rusty and the crew up there said, Hey, look, we're going to give your listeners 15% off if they use code media 15. That's M E D I A number one, number five, and you save 15% off and you can get it shipped right to your house. It's delicious. It's great coffee. Go to mountaineerroasting.com to order your coffee right now using code media15 to get 15% off. Thank you guys. You're a fly on the wall in a, in a manner, in a way. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I do find it fascinating though, because you don't, a, a lot of people don't know what, what actually goes on in a grocery store either. Like you, you can get lost. You don't even try, like you said, goes exactly. back to that. I mean, even if you're in the middle class or not, sometimes you don't want to pick up things that you don't know what they taste like. So it, it is something that there's a level of fear. Yeah. Yeah. No yeah. question about it. So it is kind of like you just said, getting over that fear of, of trying to embrace happiness and healthiness through food. And we teach, you know, uh, cooking part of the education that we do is cooking classes and it's just basic kitchen skills how to use knives how to use mm-hmm. measuring cups how to cook recipes cook healthy recipes and it's that's part of it too is is taking the mystique taking the fear out of those things and like oh this isn't that hard mm-hmm. <laughs> you know you chopping an onion is not that hard chopping a you know making a meal for my family it's it's trying to break down those barriers that that are stopping people from you know um, there have been studies done, and I, I think sometimes um, people that are more privileged, and I, God help me, I, I feel like I've been guilty of this in the past, is, is that sometimes you engage in a certain amount of victim blaming, and you're like, well, they just want to live that way. Well, studies have been done that shows mothers and fathers of all income levels, of all walks of life, want what's want to feed their children healthy. The, the, the interest in healthy eating is the same across the spectrum. The mm-hmm. problem is the access that different income levels have to information to, you know, um, you know, you can't go to, some people aren't going to spend their entire budget at Whole Foods, whole paycheck, you know, whatever, right. whatever. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's, it's not a level of, it's, it's not a question of attitude or desire. It's a question of access. And part of what we're trying to do is increase access across the spectrum for people to be able to feed their families healthy food. Yeah, I love it. It's so and, important. And when you were, like you said, now you kind of get to pick on uh, outside of what you do with the extension, you kind of get to pick on the things that you report. I'm sure when you were, uh, you know, earlier in your days, you started seeing some of the the gaps in that, right? You probably saw a lot of the the problems in the state, truly. Really. I mean, a reporter yeah. kind of reports on what's reporter. wrong. Well, then there a, you go. I, I mean, that, that goes hand in hand with, with what you're doing. Yeah. And, and I really like that beat um, because I did get a chance to go into hospitals and, and see what was going on. And the, the, the barriers to care that certain people have, it's, yeah, it was, it was very, well, before that I was an education reporter. So, so it's like, uh, it does feel like everything. Well, wait a um, you just you like the fluffy stuff, right? Healthcare, oh, education, yeah. Yeah. education, and healthcare. <laughs> education. Honestly, yeah, exactly. though, that was the best beat because, like, you you wrote um, like super hard news, uh, yeah. like when it you know a school would be. I remember one of the biggest stories I got when I first started was like Kanawha County Schools, just in the middle of 
basically in the middle of the night announced they were going to close one of their elementary schools and consolidate it. And the community was in uproar. And I got like an anonymous tip. It was super, it was super exciting. as like a 20 early 20 year old, sure. like to get For that, sure. like felt like yeah. a real reporter, but then also you got to go and write like super fluffy, uh, fun feature stories. Um, or or like history pieces and stuff like that it was a little bit of everything i really love the education beat yeah now talk to me about i mean because maybe this is some of your freelance work but um the the whole the charleston dirty birds uh, <laughs> because I, I read your column on it and it's true i think there's some people want to write that off is like we're just talking like fluffy stuff it's like oh what's it matter like you know it's just the name of a baseball team but you kind of point out well it's like do we really want to make our symbol like a reminder of an animal that essentially, and folks maybe they're not familiar with coal mining, but like a bird that's called the canary in a coal mine would go into the coal mines with miners. And if the bird died or started experiencing distress, that probably meant that it was a good time for the miners to get out of there. So a lot of people are like, okay, is, you know, what, first of all, what is this bird? Is it, you know, I don't know if it's a canary or what type of bird it is, but it probably, I mean, it's, wearing like a hard hat i'm pretty sure it looks like it's like a coal mining bird so it's pretty much saying like hey this is you know it, it's a canary in the coal mine which again you could blow it off it's like that's a little bit fluffy that's not important but then it's like do we want another symbol in west virginia to like ground us in like i don't know just like continue this tradition of like homage to coal mining is that more helpful or is it harmful um, what are your, what have you had more time to reflect on it or the people that you talk to, what's kind of their initial reaction and give so, us a little background because the Charleston dirty birds, it's the new minor league baseball team name, the team that yep. plays at Appalachian power park. So take off from there. Okay. So let me, let me give you guys, uh, how this went down in my life. Um, I was on the road filming, uh, for the day job. I'm working on a documentary about the pharmacy program. That's separate from the documentary I talked about earlier. Um, and I was out in the field filming some stuff and I got in my car to come back to Charleston and I knew that the power, the West Virginia power was the previous name of the team, mm -hmm. a name I don't feel like anybody's ever had much love for. It was just, it was okay. Um, I knew they were going to announce the naming, um, the new name. So I got on Twitter and I checked it and I started seeing people like, oh my God it's the dirty birds. Like how did they possibly pick a worse name? And we didn't even know all this canary in a coal mine stuff at that right. point. Mm -hmm. uh, basically what happened was the power announced that they were going to have a contest for people to guess the name. Well, my buddy and former uh, Charleston daily mail colleague, Tom, Tom Bragg, Bragg uh, <laughs> got a tip from somebody that told him the name was already registered on the secretary of state's office. Mm-hmm. He went and looked, and sure enough, there was the Charleston Dirty Birds. Bob Caulfield, a local lawyer here in Charleston, noticed that the trademark had already been filed with the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office of a bird wearing a hard hat, and then the firestorm began. And no, that wasn't part of my freelance like side hustle. I okay. just wrote that column out of like sheer hatred for the name. <laughs> that was free. <laughs> I didn't get paid a dime to write that column. I was just so mad. Um and 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 then you know a month goes by and they unveil it i took my little girl and we were there the night of the dirty birds unveiling mm -hmm. and i was dumbfounded by the video that they showed before they announced the naming it was like <laughs> over the you know they had the the in a world voice guy on the on the voiceover yeah, yeah, yeah in a yeah, world yeah. where people died <laughs> regularly in coal mining accidents uh 
and it was about how we were paying tribute to coal miners because of the canaries that died so they wouldn't get killed by poisonous gases and it was just absurd it, it it was it was so poorly done it was almost like parody right. um, and i'd written previously before they announced the name um on twitter and then in the gazette article it's like well does everything have to come back to coal mining i'm the like both of my grandfathers were coal miners yep my dad drove a coal truck. My father-in-law is a coal miner. My wife's grandfather was a coal miner. I, I come from Boone County, like where coal was discovered. Uh, you right. know, coal put me through, co- you know, put food on the table. <laughs> Your middle name coal. is Zachary Cole. <laughs> yeah, right, right, exactly. It, I'm, I, I have no... I understand the importance of it as a cultural force, but I also understand how much harm it has done to our culture. But I just don't know why everything has to. And the problem is that it's, it's just such a patronizing name. It's such a patronizing way to pay tribute to that. Like we just celebrated a hundred years of Blair Mountain. We just marked the greatest labor uprising in United States history where miners like armed themselves and stood up against the companies that were, you know, had basically had them indentured servitude. And uh, that, you know, we just celebrated that. And that felt to me like a real celebration of, of miners, true miners Mm -hmm. who stood up and did what was right. And then this is just, it's like, it's a cartoon that looks like the Angry Birds logo and it's a (laughs) canary in a coal mining hat. And it just felt like so ham fisted. That's, that's really what aggravated me. And I I just don't know why we have to continue to latch our cultural identity on something that has caused so much pain and so much heartache and so much problems in our state I, I don't it's, understand. it's true man i mean it's 100 percent true and I, I speak about i find myself speaking about this often because i feel like i come from a somewhat of a similar experience as you is that i had grandparents and you know even back before then work in the coal mines like and i i explain this new people are probably even tired of me explaining this nuance is that i can be prideful and look back at my blue collar heritage family and you know my great great grandfather died in the coal mines and as they were bringing him out my great great grandfather was being walking into the coal mines right so our family is you know we were built on west virginia coal right in a, to a degree now over the generations we've you know most of us work in professional jobs now I can be happy about that and proud about that as a state. But then it's like, I can also simultaneously recognize that like coal is not likely going to be a part of the energy future and or that it's caused significant damage to the environment and that the coal mining job is really not that great. If you're an underground miner, it's, it, I think by the time you're in your thirties or forties, you can barely walk. Yeah. You're paid 80, $90,000 while you're working, but it's, you know, you can be, happy and prideful of the past, but still recognize that, Hey, wait a second, there might be a better future. And I think stuff like, and hopefully this, you know, I don't think of any of our, uh, past guests or affiliate, but like the friends of coal bowl, right. If you look deep into that, that's kind of created to, again, like align societies, like friendship and love of coal. Oh, we love coal. We're friends of coal. It's the friend of coal bowl. It's on the civic center floor. You know, it's like those little cultural signaling things, keep it 
present and then that filters into politics and then you know you're never going to get a politician that speaks even if they don't like coal in west virginia odds are they're not going to attack it because it's basically like attacking our 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 heritage attacking someone's soul and their family so it's like to me it's just like such uh, a manipulation i think from largely corporations to keep the to keep our culture loving it even though it's something that's generally been not great for us for the individual is exactly the word and and here's the thing like i am old enough now that i've seen enough of this trend that i i don't know why nobody i don't know why nobody remembers this that that coal has never been good to us like my grandpa worked in the coal mines you know he got run over by a man trip and broke his legs and and he died of black lung disease and and you know mm-hmm. but that's how he put food on the table but he had to break his body to you know support his family but over the years like it would go into a boom period and and wages would be good and jobs would be plentiful and then it would crash and then everybody ask any coal miner that worked in the mines for any amount of time it would crash everybody would get laid off guys would be digging ginseng in the woods trying to buy christmas gifts for their kids mm-hmm. uh, you know they'd be cutting grass for under the table money to make ends meet then the market would take off again and it would boom and it would be like we everybody forgets what just happened and then mm-hmm. the same cycle it's repeated over and over even in my 30 some years of life that same cycle has repeated over and over and over so yeah there were good times but there were a lot of bad times and even right. in the good times you had things like the upper big branch and the sago disaster i mean it's like a lot of good has has come from the working people of west virginia i wish we could separate the the legacy of coal miners from the legacy of coal mining it's a great point I think that's I think that's fundamental in shifting because I get I speak a lot about economic stuff, macro West Virginia stuff. I think that's fundamental in like moving and transforming West Virginia into the future is that someone has to articulately be able to like recognize that because another former guest, Emily Calandrelli, she spoke about when you talk to people that have a different belief system than you, you cannot go in there and say and just like shame them for not knowing this current way of this new changes in technology or this like evolution of thought on very something very sophisticated because it's so deep rooted into their grandpa their dad their brother and that makes sense that's not their fault that they feel that way to it but to truly change opinion i think you have to have somebody and i don't know i again i don't really put my faith that it's going to be a politician that does this or really i don't know how it happens but like maybe conversations a million of these conversations will help it um is that hey look you can be proud for that but moving forward the state's going to have to adopt something new in order for us to survive as a economically vibrant community um i don't i don't know i don't know the answer to it if anybody did it'd be you know they'd be i'd love to talk to them if if they did but i don't know man it's just um it's an important subject so hopefully us kind of teasing this out um i think a lot of people don't hear cold conversations in long form they're usually it's only the marketing of either side and then i think if you're immediately you get like you get forced to make a decision do you love coal or do you not love coal do you love the climate (laughs) Do you love the climate or do you like coal? It's like, that doesn't have to be the answer. I think right. the, re- the real solution is a nuanced conversation. Right. And I, I don't, I think you're exactly right. I don't think you're going to get any, anywhere by making those polar opposites the, the only two options. Like, you know, I'm, I am as proud as can be of my family's history of, of, of hard work and, and the things that the 
people that came before me did so that I could have things as good as I have them now. I'm, mm -hmm. you know, proud as can be of Blair Mountain. I'm proud to come from that line of people. But that doesn't mean that I want my kids to work in the coal mines. Right. Or, or that I want anybody, you know, I, just this summer, um, we lost a, a guy in my church, one of my cousins, actually, to a coal mine accident. It's just awful. And it just mm -hmm. reminds me again, I'm like, this has been going on for over 100 years at this point. And mm -hmm. how long are we going to, I don't know, how long are we going to hitch our wagons to this? Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's just conversations like this where we, you know, you talk about the, the truth uh of of you know it's a proud heritage but it's also one that's not let's not forget the bad times hola friends cooper here for another quick break here on the mountaineer media podcast and i want to talk to you about our partners these are not your traditional ad reads that annoy you and that are not relevant to your life these are our partnership announcements and we have two that i want to talk about let's start with raise rub raise rub is an original west virginia recipe that has like 21 different components it's a family recipe from brody uh, prudnick he's a great guy his father started it decades ago and he's carrying on the legacy and it goes great great with beef, chicken, anything else you're cooking. So go to Amazon and it'll be at your house the next two days, I think. You can order it maybe the next day, depending on where you live. Order it, it's delicious. Again, it goes on everything and it's called Raise Rub. So search that on Amazon and a big bottle for 15, no, it's not even that. It's $12 for a huge premium bottle that you'll just have flavorful food for months to come. So get that out. It's a lot of grilling this summer and uh, you'll be the guy or gal that impresses everybody with the Raise Rub. So let's also talk about Mountaineer Employment Solutions. Do you need a job? Because if you do, there's absolutely no reason why you shouldn't go over to BeAMountaineer.com. BeAMountaineer.com is where you'll find information about the different openings that they're working with small businesses on. So whether that's a general labor, dental hygienist, you know, whatever it may be, go over there, see if they can find a job for you. If you're also listening to this and you're like, you know what, Cooper, I don't need a job. I'm actually a business owner. Great. That's beautiful. Do you have to hire employees? Boom, Mountaineer Employment Solutions will help you do that. They will hire them. They will do the admin work, the payroll, the background checks, all the nitty gritty stuff that you don't have time for. They will help you do that. So again, same website, go to beamountaineer.com and get a conversation started with Julia or Bill or any other team members over at Mountaineer Employment Solutions and they will help set you up. They're incredible people, they're employing West Virginia and they're making dreams come true in the mountain state. So we're so appreciative of Raise Rub, Mountaineer Employment Solutions and of course, Mountaineer Roasting Company and Mr. B because these are not our ad reads, these are our proud partners. We truly, truly believe in that, they support us and we want to pass this value along to you and your family and your friends or whoever the heck else you think uh, would find this beneficial so put them onto it bmountaineer.com shop raise rub on amazon sorry for repeating but it helps you remember it and they're awesome so please support them all right guys i will quit rambling let's get right back to the episode well what are some of the speaking of you that uh go ahead cj sorry I do think that uh, at least the thing that the Dirty Birds have going for them is that Canary in the Coal Mine by the Police is not a bad song. Listen, I was at the park, uh, <laughs> what, it was the second to last home game of the regular season, and they were bopping the the, the Police Canary in the Coal Mine. <laughs> I think we're going to hear that a lot. I'd there say that's worse, the official theme song. The there are worse theme songs. Song. <laughs> there are worse songs. There are worse police songs to be. I mean, thank for God sure. it's not yeah, like you no know, every breath you take, they're 
they're bumping over the, the speakers. Now, what, what, talk about the, the power park. What's the deal with the guy that passes out the toast? Is that like, is he still there? Rod, oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 Rod. Rod, Rod Blackstone. Um, cool. Well, we're going to get you to Charleston and go to a baseball game here soon. What, what are you on, talking dude? about? Let me know. I mean, is he, what, what's the story on that? I mean, okay, I, I'm so aware of him. I just like, how does this, how does a man. This started at Power Park, or not Power Park. This started at Watt Pow Park. Uh, back in the day i don't know the actual origin story but okay. every time a, an opposing batter strikes out rod blackstone toast. has a toaster behind home plate where he mm-hmm. burns day old toast he doesn't use, he doesn't waste fresh bread i, I should know don't he, eat the toast don't eat the toast you don't know where it's been <laughs> he burns it and then when somebody strikes out um he throws the toast into the crowd and everybody screams you are toast I need to get, um, we need to get them on here. We need to hear what I love is on like a, on like a crisp spring or fall baseball day when, you know, the, the, the smoke literally billows from his toaster. Mm-hmm. Like you can see it behind home plate and you can smell it. But when they built power park, when they replaced what power park with power park, they installed a electrical outlet behind yeah. home plate so he could plug his toaster in. <laughs> that is how much a part of Charleston baseball he is. And yes, he is. He That's has, great. He was there for the Alley Cats. He was there for the power, and he's still there for the Dirty. If you have his contact information, send it to us because uh, we want to talk I'm, to him. I'll. Uh, you guys add me on Facebook, and I'll make the introduction over over Facebook. You guys need to. <laughs> I I want you to interview him, and I want to hear the origin of, yeah. of the uh, of the toast thing because I would love I would love to hear that story. Well, Rob does is is gets his facts right too. I mean, he knows more about opposing batters and opposing pitchers than anybody else that covers minor league baseball. It's astounding. <laughs> so, he should be a scout. Yeah, he, um, he, yeah. he probably is a secret. He's probably scout. Like an under. He's undercover <laughs> prey for somebody. Like, yeah, that's like what the, it is. The pirates are like, <laughs> yeah. 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 On the yeah, sly, yeah. like keep an eye out uh, for. We need some. Yeah. Uh, need a good uh, shortstop. Keep an eye out. For That's funny, That's dude. Funny. Speaking, of, I got a funny story. So Mason, who's our producer, he's off camera right now. Um, we were at uh, the old Alley Cats Stadium, um, and which well, if, Park. Oh yeah. If if people you know remember that, um, it was wasn't it like some very very severe. Like the bleachers were like very severe. Like you were like right on top of the field, if I remember oh, yeah. correctly. It was like oh, a yeah. wooden wooden structure. I mean, it kind of was, was like pretty a, creaky. Yeah, it was like an old, like almost reminded me of like the uh, what's it called the the beast, like the roller coaster, like um, some <laughs> crickety old wooden structure. But Mason, who again is our producer, got hit with a batter, let go of the of the bat, and came and smacked him right in the knees. Oh, and we were probably I don't know if uh, we were maybe like eleven or something. Smacked him right in the knees, and then I think quickly they came over. Hopefully, but they were like, "Don't sue us," and they gave us like season tickets or something. I can't remember exactly what it was but that just that was a fun environment that was a west virginia icon for sure that stadium that's that was one of the the names too like when they were looking to to rename the power to what the charleston dirty birds are now everybody's talking about the charlies and even you know other names that popped up but nobody was talking about the alley cats and that's very disappointing because i I was a massive alley cats fan i saw some discussion it seemed to me that it broke down on um on age like if you (laughs) go to alley cats games you (laughs) you want to be that and then a little bit older like gen that's a great point we're like great observation wheelers and then older than that it was the charlies yeah i didn't see any like 90 year old saying like it should be the charleston senators like <laughs> 34 but, 
you know. Oh, shoot. Dude, I also learned not to stay on the minor league topic because I know you just about to make we're about to make a point. But the Charlies, that was I was convinced for an entire lifetime up until about like three months ago, that the Charleston Charlies, that was the, the name was based off like Charlie West. I did not realize Charlie was an actual freaking yep. person. With yep. a cigar that yep. wore a hat and just strolled through his with his wheelchair, th- strolled through the park and he owned the team. Like, yeah, uh, what or was an incredible it, or was it the, story. the owner's dad or something like that? Okay, but, yeah, that's yeah. what it is. The owner's but, dad, yeah, the family. Yeah, yeah, there was a. I didn't know that. There was, there was a, a Charlie, Charlie. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and he looked exactly. I mean, he wasn't a baseball, but he looked like the <laughs> derby, the pork pie hat, and the yeah, yeah, the, yeah. Uh, the cigar, and um. They were a triple A team. In- insane, incredible, really. I mean, yeah. Triple A baseball was in Charleston, West Virginia. There, um, when she was a, a kid, and like they, you know, somebody would get hurt on the. I think they were a Pirates affiliate at the time. They would get hurt on the Pirates and come down to Triple A Charleston to. It, it was insane. It was yeah, it's not. Yeah. Well, speaking of just traditional folk- folklore type stuff, what are some other stuff that you've like Appalachian culture identity? Like, what are what are some of the positive things we spoke about? Coal, but what are some of the things that you've kind of seen that have survived the test of time over generation in Appalachian culture? Oh man, one of my favorite stories I've done recently is about. Um, you guys know about pole candy. Pole, P-O-L-E? P-U-L-L, pole. Uh, oh, no. Pole candy, no. We had it a lot. So I'm still trying to figure this out. I did a story for Inside Appalachia about this, but I'm still trying to figure out how it, it started in Kentucky. Kentucky pole candy. But at some point, it made the jump to West Virginia, and it seems like it's centered in West in um, Boone County, where I'm from. It seems like that's the, the center of it because people that make it in other counties always seem to have a connection back to Boone County. So at some yep. point it made the jump and the recipe changed. You can buy like Ruth Christ Kentucky cream pull candy at uh, candy shops. And like they sell it at the peanut store down here on, on uh, Capitol, Capitol Street. Street in, but the recipe's different. In Kentucky, they used cream. When it made the jump, they started using butter and Hmm. it tastes completely different it's much more rich but i went out and met this old dude a former coal miner joe parcel who has made it for like 20 some years and it is the most like i don't think there is a a a food in all of french cuisine that is as difficult to make (laughs) maybe equally as difficult but not more difficult to make as cream pull candy because you can listen to the story Every step has to be exact. Every measurement has to be exact. The timing has to be exact. The temperature has to be exact. Everything has to be done perfectly or else it just all, it just turns to crap. And then like you have to, it starts off as this taffy and you have to pull it a certain way and you have to stretch it. And then once it hardens, it goes from being like a really gummy taffy. It it enters the stage where it's rock hard and then it becomes like, you know, those butter mints that they always yeah. put on. It's like the best butter mint you've ever had in your Interesting. life. So you pop in your mouth and just like pop it in your mouth and it just crumbles into like nothingness. And it's like air that tastes like butter. And, <laughs> and it's and it's it's amazing. And like there's just this dude in his house on the Canal River making this stuff and he's selling it. <laughs> and it's it's just like I, I think sometimes we don't appreciate the 
technical ability of some of these things. I mean, if it, like I said, if some guy was making this in New York City in a in a candy shop with a marble top counter, right? Be like you know, oh, yeah, lines yeah. around the block. But this guy's right. doing it in his kitchen in in nitro, and and just <laughs> astounding the level of ingenuity and and technique and and just talent that exists. I'm got a story right now that's going to publish at the end of this month um, about you guys have ever heard of Ellie Manette? Ellie Manette. Um, no. Oh, for two so far. Yeah. No. He is the, they call him the Stradivarius of steel. He was the inventor of the modern steel drum, like the Caribbean. Oh, wow. Okay. Right. No shit. Okay. Grew up in Trinidad, basically invented that in, uh, invented what we think of. The instrument existed, but he perfected it to the point of like he created what we think of when we think of a steel drum. He, in his 60s, landed in Morgantown, was convinced to join the staff of the WVU music department, started a company, and now right outside, like if you get off the Star City exit, instead of turning right to go into Morgantown, you turn yeah. left into this little town called Osage. And there's a factory there where these guys in this little old storefront are building world-class, like world-renowned steel drums that they send all over the world. What the hell? That's crazy. The best ones in the world are being built in, right outside Morgantown. Steel drums. And that wow. has, has become, like, oddly as it is, like it started in Trinidad and, you know, traveled up through the United States morgantown west virginia osage west virginia like the center of the united states steel drum scene astounding <laughs> that's crazy i let's see that's what i'm saying like i love all these like these little like like you're right though if that was somewhere like new york or if that was somewhere like louisiana there'd be like a cute little like shop and like a whole thing but like i think it you know what it is i mean i think we have to west virginians like you have to treat your state like you're a tourist and explore exactly. your state explore your state like you would uh you know if you were one somewhere else because so many people when they're when they're in west virginia they're like oh ain't nothing to do here nothing special here it's like wait a second we have incredible stuff we have incredible people but it's like for some reason and it, no one else can say that about west virginia but west virginians ourselves are guilty of saying that there's nothing going on there's no cool things to do yada 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 but it's like now, if, and someone else tells us that we get really defensive, but we're, we're guilty of doing it ourselves. But stuff like that, I think you just got to, I don't know, man, that's amazing. What a cool little story that is. I, I so, think you're absolutely right. I think it's a tourist mentality. I think you have to be a tourist in the place that you live. That's that's pretty much my like motto when it comes yeah. to journalism, trying to view things through the same eyes that I see things when I go other places. What's he check out here? Just the so pool this, is, candy this guy. is your story, right? This is yeah, the that's pool candy it. That's story. his kitchen. So this is the guy. So that's his kitchen, right? I was going to ask if that was his or your kitchen trying to make no, pool candy. Oh, no, I wouldn't try. <laughs> now, listen, if you can't if you disrespect him, <laughs> you can read that story. But if you listen to that story, the first seven minutes is an interview with my brother-in-law, who once when he was a teenager, decided he was going to try to make it and ended up glued <sighs> to a, a, a cookie sheet. Uh, <laughs> wait, wait. He, he got yeah glued. he got stuck to yeah, a cookie like he sheet. got like it okay. set up on his hands and he got stuck to a cookie sheet <laughs> okay. and it, it was probably the most unprofessional interview i've ever done because you can hear me in the background just cackling as he's telling the story <laughs> but 
I, I was really glad that the folks at Inside Appalachia let me actually air he that. <laughs> look at this guy. Yeah. He looks like he's exactly what I want him to look like. Look how strong his hands look. He's been working that candy for years. Listen, I would <laughs> not pick a fight with that man. And you know what he was doing while he was making candy? He was competing in a catfish tournament. Like he lives right <laughs> on the Canal River. Just on he'd the be, river there? <laughs> yeah, he lives on the river and he'd be making that candy. And every once in a while, he'd just peek out the window to see if any of his fishing poles were moving. <laughs> like that's how good he is at this he was fishing Man. while he was making the candy put the camo shirt on i love it what a guy wow yeah, what a he, guy a, that's funny. you gotta listen to that one joe's a character so tell me before like we start wrapping up here tell me about this fbi peanut butter story because i didn't get a chance to read it but i know that you guys had kind of teased yeah. it at the beginning of this here so all Ball i said know it. is we'll what i read from the ap story you go ahead well i was just so i might start my day precisely I, i'm like a creature of habit i wake up at 5 a.m i walk my new puppy um we come back in i get a cup of coffee and i sit down on the couch and I, about 5 15 is when i crack the wall street journal on my ipad do this every single morning uh rain or shine right so then i'm reading the story reading it oh interesting this guy's selling secrets uh, some type of nuclear okay then all of a sudden i'm at like paragraph 11 or whatever on this wall street journal article and it's like yeah and the guy was caught in jefferson county west virginia i was like what the hell so <laughs> so i was like because it seemed like a you know one of those stories like a big national story like this is a pretty big deal this guy so apparently this guy is a, a navy like nuclear engineer or person mm -hmm. and him and his wife were you know i think just trying to use you know, the dark web to communicate they never mentioned the the foreign government that he was thought he was talking right, to and maybe originally it. maybe originally he was talking to them and then somehow got intercepted by the fbi but then the FBI starts paying them in like cryptocurrency for a couple months. <laughs> they ended up paying them like a hundred grand over the course of like, a, like, I don't know, eight or nine months, I think. And then the most, the craziest part about this is apparently they set up this quote unquote drop scenario where he thought he was delivering the like vital information. Oh, I, I mean, it was the vital information, but like unbeknownst to him, he was delivering it to these FBI informants and the guy in West Virginia, Harper's Ferry, the whole, you know, Jefferson County up there in the corner part of the state, I guess, put this some type of SD card inside of a peanut butter sandwich gotcha. and pass it on to, to pass yeah. it off to this, oh, who he world? thought was like a foreign government representative or something. And then here's, I guess they just nabbed him. <laughs> here's the, the sentence from the, the AP story. The FBI recovered a blue memory card wrapped in plastic and placed between, I like how they describe this. They didn't just say it was in, they describe how to make a peanut butter sandwich here, right? Like placed between two slices of bread on a half of a pink on that doesn't make sense. Was it diagonal? I bet it was diagonal. Card wrapped in a plat wrapped in plastic and placed between two slices of bread on a half of a peanut butter sandwich. Court documents say. So yeah, I think it was the diagonal. The, the, yeah. the, so here's what I want to know: Was this his idea, or was this like God level trolling by the FBI? <laughs> yeah, I don't, They're like listen, I don't know. You're going to like they, they fake like some Russian accent. You will make peanut butter sandwich and you will cut on diagonal. If it is not cut on the diagonal, we will not accept this information. Yeah. If um, we f <laughs> exactly. Dude, I think that might have been it. And if I was an FBI guy, I would tell totally, that we always exchange information like this. And if we see that it's not, 
<laughs> if we see that it's not diagonal, we'll know that you're, you're you know, you're fucking, you're faking. Smooth <laughs> peanut butter, not crunchy. I mean, what a waste, though. They could have taken one slice of bread and just flipped it in half or taken it and, hey, you know, man. put it together. Listen, they've already spent a hundred thousand dollars in the point yeah. or whatever on this. They're not cutting. <laughs> they so nab this guy. The story, this is what I found interesting was that um, the guy, it says it started in April 2020 because clearly this guy had nothing else to be worried about in April 2020. He sent a package of Navy documents to a foreign government and wrote that he would be interested in selling to the country, to that country operations manuals, performance reports, and other sensitive information. Did he just pack up a bunch of classified documents and just drop it in the, like, where would you even send that? Yeah, where, would you, where would you find the address <laughs> to send that and yeah. then this is it. like I, I will be very interesting if it'll be very interesting if any of this comes out he included a note that says i apologize for this tr poor translation into your language because you know he used like google translate please forward this letter to your military intelligence agency i believe this information will be of great value to your nation this is not a hoax yeah like, take me this to your leader and then yeah. <laughs> and then the that package which had a return address in pittsburgh was obtained by the fbi last december through its legal attache office in the unspecified foreign country the court documents don't explain how the fbi came to receive the package or from whom he put a return address <laughs> this guy's like almost highly sophisticated or maybe he is good at his nuclear job but then it's like when it comes to like conspiracy and fraud he's just falling for every little like, yeah. <laughs> mistake possible <laughs> he just sent like the package to you know secret agency you know bulgaria and vladimir then, putin yeah <laughs> vladimir putin attn <laughs> vladimir putin and then it, surprise surprise it didn't get delivered and the fbi got a hold of it well it's not the Why? not the ideal way we want West Virginia in the news, but that is nonetheless that's a great part of the state. I, I've He's not a, from West Virginia. Oh, good. He just He's lives in Maryland. There. Okay, no, good. Just, no. Oh, they no, just see, nabbed him there. This is, I think, mm -hmm. I think this is another part of it. He's from he and his wife, who was also arrested, are from Annapolis, Maryland, mm. and they got him to drop the the peanut butter sandwich in. I guess Harper's Ferry, Jefferson County. Somewhere. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, it so says his. Uh... So they cross state lines to do it. I think. Oh, okay. Done. That's even I worse. Oh, oh, interesting. Well, they did say this. The AP story says that his expected court date is Tuesday in Martinsburg. So they're going to try him in Martinsburg. So let me tell you what. I hope I'm going to send him a message here. In the <laughs> Brad McElhenney of okay. metro news he used to be mm -hmm. my city editor at the daily mail mm -hmm. the best working journalist the best daily journalist in west virginia history fantastic writer great follow on twitter i hope he goes to this court <laughs> you hope he covers this is, it this is like this yeah. is this is made for brad we I need brad it. updating it hoppy talking about it every day <laughs> oh no well, we should cj actually let's just commit to following this along throughout the podcast and we'll just right, update we'll keep people. an eye on it yeah exactly that's funny well, Zach, man, a quick hour went by, but uh, we appreciate you, man. I think, um, you know, connect with, let me read your Twitter handle here for the people following or listening to the podcast. It's just your name. It's just Zach, yep. uh, Zach Arnold. Um, at, uh, oh, Harold. God, I said Arnold. Um, Z-A-C-K. Zach yep. with a C-K. On Twitter, follow him on there. Then the Inside uh, Appalachia links are all on your uh, on your profile as well. So if, if folks listening to this, you want to explore some you know cool West Virginia Appalachia stories, which if you're listening to this, you likely do. Check that out. 
Um, and thanks, man. Thanks for coming on. We had a fun time. We were all over thanks. the place. Peanut butter sandwiches, baseball, um, food shortages, the whole nine yards. So um, yeah. thanks again it's, for coming on, man. fun. Yeah, thank you guys. It's weird to be on this side of the microphone. But <laughs> Not the interviewer, the interviewee. Yeah. yeah. Well, good cool, stuff, man. man. Zach, appreciate you. Thank you. All right, everybody, that's going to do it for this latest episode of the Mountaineer Media Podcast. Zach, thank you for jumping on to talk a little baseball, some politics, and espionage. Those are always fun topics to hit, so thanks again for jumping on with us, dude, and good luck to you in the future. Everybody else that's still listening, thank you again for tuning in. We've got some merch in the store. Make sure to go check out our latest shirt, Meet Me in the Blue Lot. Those things are going fast, so jump on that ship now because those are some cool shirts, cool designs. They're super comfortable. They fit well. And so go check those out over on mountaineermedia.org as well as all of our latest content, not just from the podcast and not just from our social media, but in the blog as well. All of those guys are doing some great work, so we appreciate all of that. And hopefully you go check out and you'll probably learn a thing or two. You might learn two or three things. So again, head over to mountaineermedia.org. We'd really appreciate it. So, okay, guys, we will be next week. We've got a a big guest coming up with the National Guard. We'll talk a little bit more about that in the coming days. But again, thank you for listening to this latest episode of the Mountaineer Media Podcast. Peace. Peace.